Hello, and welcome to the inaugural edition of the Footy Talks podcast. My name is Mitchell Tierney. I'm the MLS editor here at Homestand Sports. I'll be hosting this show alongside what will probably be a strong rotation of names that you will recognize from Footy Talk live events and throughout the soccer world. The fifth edition of Footy Talks is coming up on May 3rd, 7 p.m. at the Rivoli, so make sure you get your tickets for that at homestandsports.ca. I'll be there. So will my co-host for the day, I'd assume, Ollie Platt of TFC Report and Pro Soccer USA. Uh, he's a man who is intent on turning this show, I would assume, into an MK Dons podcast. I'll do my best to make sure that doesn't happen. Uh, Holly, thanks for being my first ever co-host on the Footy Talks podcast. Hey, how's it going? Not too bad. Um, much like the, the Footy Talks live events, um, we'll spend a good chunk of this show talking about Canadian soccer, be that Toronto FC, the national team, uh, Can PL eventually. Uh, but we'll also talk about the biggest stories around the globe and perhaps some that you haven't heard about but really should. Uh, both Ollie and I were at BMO Field last night um, to watch Toronto FC take on Tigris. Um, Ollie, an, an interesting game. I mean, it starts uh, Tigris look the stronger team, then Toronto FC come on for a bit, then Tigris score, then Toronto FC score to tie it, and then Toronto FC score late at the death. Um, what are your general thoughts on a match that seemed to change several times yeah it was a really interesting one and you know not what we uh, are used to these days with TFC you know there's so many MLS games particularly at BMO Field where they're expected to win they're expected to win handily uh, and so there was much more doubt ahead of this game and you know an element of not quite sure what's going to happen that made it a really exciting game I think and and the game you know lived up to that it was engaging throughout as you said it kind of swung swung back and forth each way um, and, and TFC, I think you saw them kind of be very patient, um, play it very safe, to be honest. In the first half, they defended quite deep, um, let Tigres have the ball. Uh, I think they had 59% possession in the first half. Uh, and they just kind of felt their way into the game and, and didn't, you know, made sure that they didn't give anything away, didn't shoot themselves in the foot um, that ended the tie before it had really begun. Um, so in the end, it's kind of like, it's a great result for TFC. I think beating Tigres by any score, I think, is a, is a big success for them. But at the same time, they were a few minutes away from a 1-1 draw, which didn't wouldn't have really done much for them uh, and would have left them with a with a big uphill struggle in Mexico. So it's, it's an interesting balance between, you know, great result in the end, but it, it really is, you know, such fine margins in this competition. Yeah, I really still don't know entirely what to think, as you said. Um, that last minute goal changed everything I mean like I said it went from you know this is an utter disaster when Vargas scored and and uh, Tigris goes up 1-0 and then all of a sudden um, you know Toronto gets back into it it's 1-1 which still isn't a great result still would have had everything to do going into Mexico Um, and then they get that late goal Uh, I was very interested by the way Toronto FC lined up for this match obviously um, we we found out later that uh, Victor Vasquez wasn't good to go for a 90 minutes, so that um, definitely played a role. But uh, I know you and I were talking before the match, saw they were going with a midfield three um, of Osorio, Delgado, and Bradley, and, and kind of wondered what the link was uh, between the, the midfield and the forwards. Um, what did you make of, of that lineup and, and how it worked out? 
Yeah, it worked better than I was expecting it to, to be honest. Um, like you said, the the lack of a real playmaker in there, I was a little bit concerned by because, like, you, ha- you have to give Tigres a lot of respects and you have to kind of work your way into the game, as I was saying, and earn the right to, to play soccer. You know, you've got to get that defensive base to begin with. But the fact is, again, TFC had to win this game. You know, they had to kind of, there had to be a certain degree of, of aggression and risk um, because a tie was no good to them. And I, I, I did feel with, with no Vazquez, uh, no Akeche, an hour on the bench as well, who's given them a little bit of spark up from right back. Um, I felt it was a little bit cautious to start with. And I haven't totally changed my mind on that because, again, they, they did have to leave it very late to get a goal that, you know, is, is a huge goal in the tie. Um, but at the same time, you do, I think, have to give them credit that they were very patient and they made sure that the tie didn't get away from them early on. Um, maybe it's expecting too much for, you know, to expect them to be more aggressive than that against a team like Tigres. Um, it worked out in the end. Again, as I say, it was, it was very, very, a very close run thing. Um, but you, you have to say as well that Jonathan Azorio continues to step up and and maybe... You know, obviously Vasquez is, is going to continue to be key, but maybe they can cope without him a little bit better uh, because of the way Azorio is playing. Uh, we'll talk about Azorio in a second, but one of the things that, that really struck me last night, um, and this has been a problem for MLS teams in the past in this competition, is sure, maybe 11 versus 11 they can match these Liga MX sides, but um, once once these teams start pulling players off their benches, that's where the Liga MX teams really can can show their difference. But you know, Toronto FC were able to put in Arrow. They were able to bring Vasquez off the bench. Um, how big of a difference is that now that these MLS teams are getting deeper and can now match not only what these Mexican teams have in their starting eleven, but also you know later in the games they can they have a few tricks up their sleeves of their own. Yeah, it's huge. You know, TFC won this game in the last 30 minutes. Um, and, and they've been doing that all season, to be fair. You know, they've been far better late in games than they have early on in them uh, in every game they've played this year. Uh, and it, and it's big. You know, I, th- I think, you know, these ties, we, we as we'll get on to in the, the UEFA Champions League in a minute with, with Tottenham and Juventus, um, these ties can really flip in, in a matter of minutes. And so you really have to give it 180 minutes potentially even 210 minutes um of complete effort complete focus complete concentration and you know if, if one thing's going to cost tfc in this tie it's it's that one momentary lapse they had um on vargas's goal which was you know really brutally punished with a fantastic finish um so i think having substitutes to bring off the bench to you know to keep the team fresh um you know to keep the team engaged as well just to to make sure that you know, there's players out there that aren't tiring mentally as well as physically. Uh, it's a huge thing. And, you know, Auro made a difference. Vasquez, you know, can, we know can make a difference if he's at full health. Uh, and, and I believe they were even warming up uh, Tossing Ricketts before Zavaleta had a little injury as well. So there's a mm-hmm. ton of options there for them to um, to change the game and, and to make a late push, which, which may well be crucial again when you're talking about, you know, a one-goal margin uh, going into the second leg. One thing that, that really impressed me last night was just how much Toronto FC stepped up to the big occasion. I mean, in their three games leading up to this, 
they weren't particularly impressive. I mean, even in that 2-0 away game against Colorado, obviously they were frozen for for 90 minutes, but they still, I mean, they let Colorado have a couple chances. They didn't look um, all that good, but everyone seemed to, to have a pretty solid performance last night. Josie Altidore in particular, um, who hasn't had the best start of the season in, in my, or in my opinion, was absolutely fantastic. Um, what do you make of this team as kind of a, a big game performer now that they've, they've been, in, in every big game over the past two years, minus that 2016 MLS Cup, they seem to be able to, to step up and, you know, give the give a good account of themselves. Yeah, and, and even in that MLS Cup loss, they were the best team by far. <laughs> That's you true. Know, it, it's, it's harsh to say that they didn't um, show up for that one. And it, this kind of felt like the first game of the season, really. Like, everything else was leading up to this. Um you know, they got the job done basically through half an hour of good soccer against Colorado. Uh, and apart from that, they haven't played particularly well all season. Um, but you could you can tell just being around the club that everything has been leading up to, to this tie. And this is what they're focused on early in the season. And if that means, you know, the supporter shield takes a hit, then, then so be it. Um, yeah, and I, I, I think that they keep producing in these big moments. I, I don't know, you know, what... Uh, secret source they have that, that is allowing them to do that they just seem to really rise to the occasion every single time uh, and and that's the thing like when you talk about when we talk about how they approach the game and the fact that they were a little bit cautious to begin with maybe with this team that just makes sense because you know in these finally poised games where there's one goal in it they they keep coming out on top you know they keep finding a way to win you would think it when they leave the margins this fine on a regular basis in these big games they might come out on the wrong end of one every so often um, but it's just not happening. You know, they always seem to find a way. Maybe what's uh, what's giving Toronto FC so much success in these big games is Greg Vanny's Jedi mind tricks. Um, <laughs> he suggested he he's played one on Jonathan Osorio, um, and that's that's part of the reason for Osorio's uh, incredible start to the season. He's been Toronto FC's best player in pretty much every game they've played so far this season. Um, last night, what really struck me was uh, he he had a chance that uh, earlier in the half in the second half that he missed. I mean, it was, I think I tweeted at the time a, a little bit meanly. Um, oh, bad time for the old Jonathan Osorio to show up. Cause that's really <laughs> what he did at the start of last season where he'd get chances like that and he'd sky them and he didn't have composure. Um, they pulled him out of the lineup for a while. He came back um, during last year's playoffs and, um, evidently played his way back into a starting spot. And now that Toronto FC has so much midfield depth with Vasquez, obviously a catch-a coming in, um, he's really, you know, carved out a place for himself. And, you know, a couple minutes later, not only does he finish uh, another chance, but he does so with so much confidence. Um, what have you made of the of the difference in Jonathan Osorio this season? Yeah, so, so Greg Vanny was talking about how he basically seems to have just told him to forget about scoring goals. And it's kind of a weird thing that, you know, it sounds like an insult if I say that Jonathan Azorio is a great player as long as you don't expect anything in either penalty area from him. But that's kind of what he is. You know, he's he, he's really elusive. He's really good in possession, links up with other players while he gets out of tight spaces very well and, and really kind of oils the machine for TFC. Um, not in the same way as Delgado does, but to a similar effect, I think. And 
you know, last year, at the start of last year, you know, people might remember that Sporting Kansas City game where he missed two or three chances. Um, and, and to be honest, I think only one of them was like a really good chance. But you, you see a couple of shots go, you know, hit, go towards the scoreboard and, and, and the narrative kind of starts to build up. Um, and it was obvious that that really got in his head, you know, and, and Azoria doesn't maybe like showing it outwardly, but I think that definitely hit his confidence and, and affected his game. And he spent the next few months really trying to rebuild his game um, and rebuild his confidence. And he had a few things that, you know, late in the summer, I, I think going with the, the national team and he, he didn't play much in the Gold Cup, but that seemed to be something that, you know, that change of scenery maybe just helps him out a little bit. Uh, and then towards the end of the year, he really started to blossom. And I think, you know, playing in in the diamond system where he's got two more defensively minded midfielders behind him, but he's also got Vazquez to take the playmaking burden, kind of took that pressure to produce, you know, the numbers on the score sheet off of him a little bit. And he just played his natural game. Um, but last night, you know, that was back on him. And, and I, I think it, he was terrific again. Um, you know, just keeping his mind on the things he does well seems to be working for him and then having the you know as Vanny said the knock-on effect of actually ironically making him better at the things he was struggling with so he's having a great season so far and and he it makes for a really interesting kind of uh, selection decision for Vanny because he has so much talent in that position yeah I wanted to touch on that as well now you know obviously um Osorio's been playing fantastic. Marky Delgado was excellent last night. Bradley's never coming out of the lineup. Uh, Vasquez yeah. is hurt, but if if he's not, he's you know he's pretty much penned in as well. Um, mm-hmm. And then you have Edgar Akeche and and Nick Haxler as well um, in that conversation. Poor Akeche, you know he had a really tough uh, first start, I thought. Um, and you almost can't do that in a club that's that's going this well right now. But he'll definitely be, be afforded his opportunity uh, at some point. Uh, what do you make of this this competition and and how it I guess it, how it's pushed everyone to play so much better? Yeah, and it's funny because we were looking at the midfield as a little bit of a maybe shallower group a month or two ago when Cooper had left and Sheru had retired and. You know, we maybe thought Nico Hazler was going to be a right back rather than a midfielder, and now it's like they're spoilt for choice. Um, I, I think there'll be enough games to go round. I think Vasquez, you'll see his minutes get kind of reduced a little bit because once he went in, um, you know, a few weeks into the season last year, he basically never came out. Um, and at his age, and you know, with a little bit of an injury history behind him, and now seemingly struggling with this nerve issue in his back, I, I think you'll see him, uh, them manage his minutes a little bit, which should get a catch plenty of opportunities. Um, but certainly, you know, not to look too far ahead, but by the you know a lot can change in in the, the regular season. But by the time the playoffs come around, and Greg Vanny has to put eleven out there if he's got everyone healthy, you know, there's going to be someone who's pretty disappointed. So. That's going to be an interesting storyline to follow. Let's look ahead now to to leg two for Toronto FC that goes uh, next Tuesday down in Mexico. There's still a ton to do for Toronto FC. Obviously, they have the advantage, but um, LS teams never have an advantage going down into Mexico. I was looking um, at the last six competitions, and in knockout games, MLS teams have been outscored 33 to seven. They've never won. Um, in the in the last six years and they have 
obviously all Toronto FC needs is a tie. Um, saying that simply, it's it's not that easy. That's only happened three times. Uh, Montreal famously did it twice on their run to the final. Uh, what what can we expect from Toronto FC as they head down into, you know, arguably their toughest game of the season? Um, I think we can expect the team bus on the field, to be honest <laughs> with you. I think this is going to be like backs to the wall. Um, you know, at least if they can keep it level for 45 minutes or an hour, then it's really going to be like dig in and just, you know, hope that the bounces go your way. Um, you know, I'd love to see them prove me wrong and, and play a great game and show that this is, you know, a different class of MLS team than we've seen before. But I still think, you know, maybe if you're in, you're playing Shivas, who are having a tough time of it domestically right now, um, you, maybe you can expect a little bit more. But this is the best team in Mexico. And I think, you know, you even look at the big clubs in Europe when they have a lead in, in a Champions League tie like this, they still have to defend in that last half an hour, 45 minutes. So it, it's going to be a backs to the wall effort. I think we'll see the same three at the back again. Um, and, you know, it would be about trying to kill the first half, get through the first half, take the crowd out of it a little bit. Uh, start to put some anxiety in Tigres' minds because there is huge pressure on them. You know, they've lost the last two finals to this competition. So, you know, this is supposed to be their year. Um, and and then, you you know, maybe there'll be counter-attacking opportunities there, but I, I think it, all uh, attention will be on the shutout. I think there is reason to, to be confident in Toronto FC's defensive ability. I mean, for that first half especially, they really... Um, kept Tigris well away from their box. It, it was only one mistake, really, that that afforded Tigris um, their goal. They didn't do a whole ton offensively. Obviously, um, you can look at the cold and you can look at some of the other advantages Toronto FC had. Um, the pitch, although I don't necessarily consider that a huge advantage. I think Toronto FC um, were, were not particularly happy with the pitch as well. Um, what did you make of the performance defensively from Toronto FC and what, what they were able to do um, against you know one of the best offensive sides um, on the continent? It was very good, yeah, as you said. And, and that is one of the encouraging things is that it's not as if they were really riding their luck in this game. You know, If anything, they got a little bit unlucky um, because the one slip-up they make really is you know punished with a finish of, of real, real quality from Vargas. Um, obviously, the potential difference in the second leg is is Gignac uh, may play the 90 which was a strange one uh, in this game I don't know if it's I've heard mention he was coming off a, a fitness problem or something but if he was healthy it's you know it feels like maybe the coach overthought that one a little bit um, but definitely you know it was something I asked Michael Bradley about after the game was you know are you encouraged going into Mexico by the way that you were able to stifle Tigres here and I'm sure the field played a little part of it. You know, they didn't really seem to fancy the the conditions very much, um, but it was definitely not what we were expecting. And you know, for a team with with so much attacking talent from Tigris, what did you see that that might uh, cause some worry? Because he's always seemed like traps almost for MLS when MLS teams when you know they they have a pretty good home result uh even even sometimes they have a good half on the road in Mexico as Toronto FC did um when they were last in the semifinals of this competition and then you know they just get run down in a second half or eventually the Mexican teams just just prove to be so much better what 
what are the little things that that Tigris did that uh, pot- could potentially cause problems for Toronto FC? Uh, well, I think it's the quality they have up front. You know, all it takes is one moment. They don't need much. They need a you know a ball to bounce the right way in the penalty area or something, and they've got the players to finish to capitalize on that. So you know. It's very, very difficult to go there and not concede at least one goal. And if TFC do concede the first goal, then they've got a problem because they have to go and score and, and they have to open up a little bit. Um, so I, I think that's the difficult thing is that you can play well or reasonably well and, and still, you know, as we saw when TFC went behind in this game, they have the capacity to do something to you very, very quickly. And that changes the complexion of things in, in a big way. And I know both of us have very much been in a Toronto FC bubble of late, but the MLS season has started. There there were other MLS matches that happened this past weekend. Um, one of interest for me definitely was LAFC kicking off their inaugural season. Um, they played their first match against the Seattle Sounders 1-1-0. Um, I only caught the first 25 minutes of this match or so, and LAFC looked great. Um, from the sounds of things, once I turned the channel over to um, the Impact uh, Whitecaps game, things didn't go as well. Um, one Canadian in this match, I should mention, was Mark Anthony K, making his first ever MLS start. What did you make of K? And um, after that, um, LAFC. I thought he did well. You know, it's it's tough to judge because. It is their first game, and they're a totally new team, and they basically have no depth right now. Um, you know, they, they've got... I think they've signed another midfielder, but he wasn't available for this game, so Kay was pretty much starting by default. Um, and, and it's tough to go to a place like Seattle, um, you know, with a great home record and, and expect to get anything. So, you know, early on, the the bit you caught, um, they, they showed some real promise going forwards. Um, you know, I thought Rossi looked really promising for someone his age I think you know there's a lot of expectation around these young kids coming into MLS this year you know Barco and and so on and I think some of them are are very young and are going to need a bit of time and maybe people are getting a little bit carried away as to what they can do in year one but Rossi looked like he could be an impact player Uh, he scored a great goal his combination play was good Um, he's got Carlos Veo obviously playing next to him so that helps Um, and, and they look dangerous early on Eventually, as Seattle kind of settled into it, albeit having conceded a goal, they, they totally took over. Um, and, you know, I, I, LAFC were... were I, I th- thought they were competent defensively. There was a lot of last-ditch stuff. Um, you know, it wasn't as organized as a performance as Bob Bradley would, would ideally like, but this isn't Minnesota United. You know, they, they were getting their bodies in front of things and... and you know, making Seattle's shots that they did get a little bit more difficult, I think, and that's the thing with Seattle that you know they they like they have a ton of possession, they take a ton of shots, but they don't necessarily always penetrate as much as they need to. You know, they they don't have a ton of speed in the team, um, and so they take a quite a lot of contested shots. I think that you know you, you look at twenty two shots and you think they should have walked that one, and and even the expected goals suggested that they should have won it easily, but. I felt that LAFC did do a good job defensively and, you know, it was backs to the wall stuff. It was it, it, it was what we can expect in Mexico, probably. Um, but, yeah, I, you can't really complain about for an expansion team that is still very much a work in progress going to Seattle and, and getting any kind of win and a, and a clean sheet as well. So, 
was a good start for them, I think. So as I mentioned, um, in, instead of watching LAFC, you know, play or park a bus uh, in Seattle, I, I flipped the channel over to Vancouver taking on Montreal in an all-Canadian matchup. Um, exciting stuff. I mean, six Canadians were starting. Uh, David Chouanier came on as well, so there were seven Canadians in totals. But uh, the obvious story out of this one was Alfonso Davies' um, fantastic performance. You know, this is really a season where where everyone's looking for him to take that next step. And in preseason, I mean, I've seen some grainy footage of him running entire lengths of pitches in Las Vegas, um, among other things. So an incredible performance from him linking up really well with Kai Kamara, their new striker. I think that's that's a, a link to watch, um, especially uh, if Davies continues to to cut in and and create crosses and chances for Kai Kamara. I think that's a partnership to, to definitely watch. Uh, Davies scored his first goal and added an assist in a 2-1 win. Um, this this kind of also came at the expense of, of Canadian Michael Petrasso, who uh, Davies burned a few times uh, defensively. Mm-hmm. Um, other Canadians, Raheem Edwards, didn't look particularly good. Montreal in general, um, they look like they're going to have a tough season um, as they try and figure things out under Remy Gard. Um, so, Which is a shame because, you know, they've really invested in... Uh, Canadian players this off season as well, so it would be nice to see that work out. And I don't think if they do struggle this year, it's necessarily going to be the Canadian players' fault. But if they get caught up in it, and then there's a ton of changes again, you know, it's hopefully they can hang around for a little while. Yeah, that's a good point, and um, I, I do think that at some point here, Remy Guard's going to going to bring in some reinforcements. So. This is a big opportunity for guys like Petrasso, like Edwards, uh, even like Schwanier. Um I think Piet's pretty much a staple at this point. But just to just to prove themselves and and prove that um, they deserve starting minutes uh, for Remy Gard. Um, speaking of Frenchmen and the French league, um, we're going to move now onto the Champions League round of sixteen, and uh, let's start with Paris. PSG, well, they've they've done it again. Despite you know spending all that money, um, he, you know they they could literally construct an entire eleven of Eiffel towers with the money they spent. Um, that that analogy sounded better in my head, but we'll, we'll go with it. Um, they still can't seem to win when it matters in the Champions League. Um, obviously, they're missing Neymar for that second leg, but. It really felt like they're missing a lot more than that. Um, what is this team still missing for you, Ollie? Uh it's a tough one. Like I, I kind of think that any team that expects to walk into the Champions League, no matter how much money you've spent, uh, and and win immediately, I think is on to a is you know is is going to be disappointed. Um, I. I just think experience is still so big in this competition, and it was the same thing with with Spurs, which was the game I watched yesterday. Um, you need to have a bit of know-how and a bit of ability to manage a game in this competition, and you you know the the quality of the teams you're playing, you're going to have to ride out periods of pressure. It's inevitable, no matter how good you are. And I think Real Madrid's it doesn't matter what domestic season they're having; they are so good at, at knowing how these games go. You know, they've got a coach who 
is one of the most accomplished players in this competition of all time. Um, and they've just got a ton of, you know, veteran players who have been doing this for years. You know, Ramos, Ronaldo, Modric, uh, Tony Kroos, you know, they know this competition inside out. And, you know, PSG don't have that same experience, I think. You know, they have a few players who have been playing in, in the Champions League for a while in, in Silver and Cavani and so on. But I, I think kind of the new core of this team is, you know, when you look at Marquinhos, Rabiot, Neymar, uh, Mbappe, is, is pretty young. And that the issue for them is that, you know, there's no substitute for experience in this competition, but there is no time to fail when you spend 200 million on one player and, you know, however many hundred million or even a billion or whatever it is now on, on the squad as a whole. So... It's tough, um, you know. I, I I don't think you build sustainable success on this competition off off you know scrapping your way through on on one run. I think you have to build up for years and years to get to a point where you can take down a Real Madrid or a Barcelona or a Bayern Munich. And PSG aren't there yet. They still really seemed like a group of individuals to me. I mean. Yeah. Um, in that game, they really didn't seem to connect well. There was there was a chance where Mbappe could have easily squared it across for Cavani and decided to go his own and, and take a shot. And it's just moments like that where I think I think like you said, it's just it's just going to take time for um, for this club to really figure out how to do it in the Champions League um, and all these players to work well together. One team that doesn't have that problem evidently is Real Madrid. Um, despite, as you mentioned, just a dreadful season domestically by their standards. Um, they still look incredibly dangerous in this competition. Didn't really look in doubt ever that they were going to go through past, um, you know, PSG, who we've all talked about as one of the giants of of Europe of late. Um, where would you put them in terms of, of the favorites now? Because obviously they've had so much success recently, and and, you know, despite what they were doing in Spain, they still look like one of the top teams in this competition yeah it's a tough one's cool because you know on the one hand as i as i said i i think they know how to play these two legged like, ties as well as anyone um and so they certainly have a chance of of winning it again um but i do think that the way they're playing domestically has to have some effect you know i don't, I don't think you can completely ignore that and say well the champions league is totally different um but one thing that kind of maybe does favor them and give them a chance is that I don't think there's really anyone who stepped out and 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 looks like being the heavy favorite this year you know you can say that Barcelona are doing very very well in La Liga um, but I still don't think that they're the team that they have been in previous years quite yet Uh, and Manchester City obviously look very strong but they you know they're not one of the more experienced teams in this competition so you know maybe they need to fail first and then come back and get it right we'll, we'll see in the latter stages but you know there's not one team right now that stands out to me as, as the the obvious favorite so maybe it's a year where if Real Madrid can just be smart and just be experienced and you know manage games the way they manage these two they could well go all the way again and speaking of favorites I say this a bit uh, tongue-in-cheekly but Liverpool um, they have been scoring for fun in this competition obviously their competition in this competition hasn't always been um, the top level. They did beat Porto 5-0 uh, on aggregate. What do you make of them in terms of, of you know, going forward in this competition? Um, can we see them as, as being back in terms of a European powerhouse? Um, I think they're getting there, yeah. 
you know, I think they they have a good chance of finishing second to a very very good Manchester City team in the Premier League. So that's progress. Um, and they've been well, they've been great in every competition in the big games. You know, whenever they play top opposition, they they tend to produce. Um, I wouldn't want to play them if I was anyone in this competition because they they do have that high upside where they can really show up on on any given day and, and produce you know a world class performance and we saw that with them ending Manchester City's unbeaten run um, you know they, they're not just a team that is going to potentially be able to stop a really good team but they're a team that could potentially outplay a really good team and, and put them on the back foot so I wouldn't want to play them I, I, I think there will be a point at some stage you know if, if it's the quarterfinals or the semi-finals I don't know but I think there will be a point at some stage where the defence maybe just shows up a little bit that it's still not quite what it needs to be um, you know they do have a tendency to get caught out every so often and that might trip them up um, but yeah again I, I really wouldn't want to draw them and have to go to Anfield and uh, you know take on a coach in Jurgen Klopp who who is just very good at managing these big games and you know combining the the motivational powers he has to to really get his players up and firing for big games but also the tactical now you know the the ability to set his team up against any opponent in the, in the world and, and be able to expose something. And now let's move on to the game that took place yesterday. Uh, I didn't have much time to mentally break this down, obviously, because moving on to TFC, but Tottenham-Juventus, yeah. um, just a wild finish in that one after you know a pretty, pretty wild tie in general in terms of, of you know the... The momentum swinging. Um, Giorgio Chiellini had had this to say after the match, which is honestly probably the best story coming out of this. Um, we knew Spurs were weak in defense and were mentally fragile. They always miss something to get to the end. It's the history of Tottenham. They always created many chances to score so much, but at the end they always miss something, um, which was just <laughs> hilarious. I mean, you know, in terms of throwing a team under the bus and, and certainly not making many fans um, in, in London with that statement. Well, in, in that particular section of London, I'd imagine uh, <laughs> Arsenal might be going London, in yeah. big for uh, <laughs> Chiellini this summer after that. Um, but in your estimation, what went wrong for Tottenham? Because, you know, evidently... Um, they they were they were losing in the first leg. They they clawed back into it. They were up three two, and it looked like you know they, they were dominating that match. It really looked like they were gonna gonna sail through to the quarterfinals. But then in a couple of minutes, uh, Juventus you know did their thing. Yeah, again, I don't want to sound like a broken record, but I think it was experience again. Um, you know, as you said, Spurs were playing really well. Um, you know, the Juventus had a penalty call that they they should have had, but in general play. Um, Tottenham were outplaying them. They they looked quicker. They looked you know more athletic, which w- will be you know as natural as a result of their younger age, by and large. Um, and they looked like they were on the way to to the next round. And um, they were one nil up. They're up on aggregate. And at that point, I think once you get to the sixty minute mark, if you've not added another goal by that point, it's time to shut it down and it's time to just you know see this game out. Uh, and and get through to the next round. It doesn't matter, you know, if you feel like you should have scored more goals based on your performance. Just forget it. Just shut it down and and get through. And I don't think they did that. Um, you know, they had two 
moments where they fall asleep defensively and, and let Juventus in and that was all they needed and then once Juventus had their lead they did what Tottenham should have done which was just uh, completely uh, bottle it and well not bottle it in the, the mental sense but bottle the game up and uh, yeah uh, it, it was all that Juventus loved to do from that point you know Chiellini just throwing himself in front of shots um, you know everyone defending for the cause and everyone protecting Buffon and you know they're arguably the best team in Europe in that kind of situation so it was always going to be tough for, for Spurs to get another goal in, in, in that type of game. I'm interested to see where Juve go from here because you know while they were able to get through and that's obviously the name of the game in this competition um, they didn't look particularly great over the two legs um, you know, it, it, they really needed those a couple moments of magic to to get through, and and were on the back foot for for large parts of the games. Um, you know what? You know this team definitely knows what they're doing in this competition. They've they've had a lot of success, but um, you know if if they have these kind of problems with Tottenham, who are a good team but not a great team at this point, I don't think you know how how much further do you see them going in this competition? Yeah, I, I don't love their chances this year. You know, I think they, again, they showed their experience and they found a way in, in this round, but I think Tottenham gave this one away as much as Juventus won it. Um, I The, the one uh, reason for encouragement for them, I think, is that Higuain really delivered a goal and an assist in, in a game where it looked like it was going the wrong way for Juventus, and that's what they signed him for, was, you know, a guy who can who can score, who can make something when there's not, a lot going on, um, as we see with players like Ronaldo and, and Messi, uh, and he he hasn't really done it in the biggest games often enough. Uh, it's been a constant criticism of him. You know, you look at the World Cup final and uh, with Argentina and, and games like that. He he hasn't produced enough, and this was, you know, quite a notable performance for him. I think in in that sense and a confidence booster for sure. Um, and and you know, there's there's enough talent there. I think when you look at. Higuain and, and Dybala and so on but I, I just don't think this team is quite as good as, as some of their rivals and I think maybe a, another year of age is catching up with some of them you know as much as Chiellini was the hero in the end for you know, the way he was throwing himself in front of things uh, in the second half in the first half Harry Kane just absolutely torched him you know every time they were one-on-one -on -one, it was there was only one result um, and Chiellini could have given away a penalty so I, I don't think that they're one they're a team that is gonna, you know, push on from their near miss last year and go one better. I think they're probably going in the in the other direction, if anything. Yeah, I don't know if uh, bringing in uh, Iguain for for clutch scoring is necessarily the best policy, uh, as you mentioned. No. Um, but like you said, it was it was a good performance from him, and you know, big goal, uh, big time to score it. Um, there was one more match. Um, in the Champions League, um, and that was uh, actually Basel beating Manchester City, but um, on aggregate it was 5-2 for City, so um, never really in doubt on that one. You know, there's been mm -hmm. so many words devoted to City that I don't think we we need to touch on that too much, but we will <laughs> um, touch on our match to watch of the week ahead. Um, each week on the show, um, we're going to highlight a must-watch match in the soccer world that can be anywhere in the world um evidently the the week is a little uh, loosely termed considering we'll probably be recording these things on thursdays so 
Um, it might not be a traditional uh, Monday to Friday week, but a- at least a match ahead that that you really should be watching. Um, there's some pretty obvious ones uh, ahead this week that I think both Ollie and I have picked. Uh, Ollie, for, for you, what's your match of the week and, and why? Yeah, so I've gone with Man United against Liverpool on Saturday morning, an early one uh, for, for the Canadian viewers. Um, and it's a little bit of a weird one because, you know, it's for me it's the best rivalry in English football and the most passionate and, you know, the most historic. Um, and these games have, you know, a ton of potential when they're good, but they can also be pretty bad. Uh, and the last four, I think, have been 1-1 draws or a 0-0 draw. So there is always the potential in these games for one team, especially with Jose Mourinho in town, there's always the potential for one team to kind of... Uh, park the bus and, and just take a point um, but I think this one could be interesting because you have a Liverpool team that's in really good form um, you know really making a push to take that second place in the Premier League and you have a United side that's had a few problems over the past month or two obviously with Paul Pogba um, and if they that was still the case you I, I would think they would be very defensive in this game and just make sure they don't lose but you know, you look at the win against Chelsea, you look at that come from behind win against Crystal Palace, which was really a big emotional moment, I think, for this team and, and has given them some momentum. And maybe they'll choose to have a little bit more of a go at, at beating Liverpool. Um, but we'll we'll see. You know, I, I, I'm not hugely confident we're going to see a ton of goals in the game. Um, but there's always some intrigue somewhere uh, with Mourinho and Klopp on, on the sidelines. And I've gone with another heavyweight battle, um, another obvious one, um, the Champions League match between Chelsea and Barcelona coming up Wednesday. Um, I've been watching Barca a lot this season, and I know you said earlier in the show that they're not the Barca of old, and and that is true. They're still um, figuring things out and figuring out how to transition to you know, the post-Neymar world of or edition of their team. But Messi's playing incredible this year. Iniesta seems to have turned back the clock and been really, really good. Suarez had a a tough start to the season, but now is playing, you know, as you would expect Luis Suarez to be playing. Um, Definitely going to be an interesting match. I mean, (laughs) Chelsea's going in. It it was 1-1 in the home leg for them. So Barca does have the... uh, the away goal and you know Chelsea doesn't have Fernando Torres this time so that's not looking great for them um you know with them going in and how how Chelsea's been playing lately um that loss to Manchester City where they didn't really impress at all they they didn't look great in that um do you what do you make of their chances going into the camp no knowing that they need a, a goal and you know they they really they're really in tough here against um, a very good Barcelona side. Yeah, it's a tough one to call, I think. You know, obviously Barcelona are favourites, but I think we have seen a couple of really good performances from Chelsea. You know, I look back to Atletico Madrid away in the group stage where that was just a perfect away performance in Europe. Um, they were pretty good in the home leg of this one. But then at the same time, you've got the team kind of seems to be disintegrating you know you don't know how long Antonio Conte is going to last there and you know their approach against Manchester City was was just laughable you know there's some clips going around of them just literally standing in their own half making no attempts uh, to go and press Man City and win the ball at all you know they did it was one of the most defensive performances you will ever see from a team uh, of that size and with with the quality of players they have and 
so it, it depends which team turns up, you know. And I, for me, Chelsea, they're running a risk. You know, they've fallen outside of the top four. Conte doesn't seem to be happy. And, you know, if losing Conte is one thing, but if, if this starts falling apart again and if they get to a position where they kind of have to rebuild it all again, I don't think Eden Hazard sticks around. Um, you know, I don't know. Maybe they keep... Courtois and, and Willian and you know they, they've got quality beyond Hazard but he's such a big player for them and if they lose that that you know one big X factor they've got it's, it's not an easy thing to replace no certainly not um also ahead in the in the Champions League um Manchester United Sevilla that's nil nil on aggregate um Roma is trailing Shakhtar Donetsk two nil or two one rather um, and then uh, Bayern Besiktas, uh, basically over after after a five nil first leg. Um, Not if Carl Aaron has yeah, something yeah. to say about it. That's the that's the only thing that that uh, Canadians maybe should tune in for to see if you know they finally give Kyle Aaron some minutes. Um, he hasn't had the best time since going over there um, to the Turkish league. They you know he's certainly behind a, a couple of other strikers and. And not getting very many minutes, so um, you know maybe maybe a big huge performance against Bayern Munich will put him back in the conversation, <laughs> um, but I wouldn't imagine that likely. Um, before we wrap up here, we're going to move on to our final segment. Um, there's a lot of crazy stuff that happens in, in the soccer world, it seems. Um, so we're going to highlight one thing each week in our crazy soccer story of the week. Um, there's been a lot this week. There's been tennis balls being thrown on the pitch in, in Germany. Um, uh, in Serie B, there was a, there was a robbery of, of the, the dressing room at, at half or before halftime. Uh, the players came in and all this stuff was missing. Um, but we're going to go to Denmark, uh, this for this week's story. Um, Hobro and, and Copenhagen, they're playing in a first division match uh, in minus four conditions, so certainly uh, something Toronto FC can sympathize, sympathize with with some of the games they've had to play recently. Um, so what Hobro did was they raffled off tickets for, for three lucky fans to sit in a hot tub at the side of the pitch during the match. Um, this, this seems like a good idea on paper, but I feel like after the first five minutes, the novelty of that might wear off. <laughs> yeah, well, Scandinavia, like, uh, <laughs> I think it's kind of um, tradition for them to, you know, uh, either in a sauna or something like that, go and get really warm and then go and roll around in the snow. So <laughs> maybe it's a different cultural thing, but something for TFC to think about if they're going to continue to play games in February uh, in future years. That's a good point. What an addition that would be to the the tunnel club. I, I feel like... Yeah. The hot tub's one of those things where it's great for the first, like, maybe 10, 15 minutes, but, like, I think you'd be overheating after that, and then I, I don't really have long yeah. hair anymore, but, um, you know, I would imagine your hair would freeze, and it'd be yeah, cold from the head, the head up. That sounds like a, I mean, it sounds like every, all three of those people who won the raffle also won a raffle to get a cold and flu as well. <laughs> yeah, an hour and a half is probably... A little bit longer than ideal <laughs> certainly um so we'll chalk that one up to great idea probably not so great in execution um and that has been the inaugural edition of the footy talks podcast thanks so much ollie for joining me 
Um, I'll give you a minute or so now uh, just to just to plug your stuff. What what are you working on right now? Uh, yeah, so for those who don't follow me on Twitter or whatever, I've started a new TFC website this year called the TFC Report. Um, and it's kind of a mix of, of free articles and then a, f- a couple of more articles a week for subscribers as well. Uh, and then I'm also covering TFC this year for Pro Soccer USA, which is a new website uh, run by the people behind the Orlando Sentinel um, that's trying to be, you know, a, a hub for everything MLS, you know, a, a reporter covering every single team. So it's worth checking out this year. Absolutely. Definitely some great stuff for Toronto FC fans to check out. Uh, my name again is Mitchell Tierney, MLS editor here at Homestand Sports. A reminder that on May 3rd, Footy Talks 5 will be live at the Rivoli. Uh, Ollie and I will probably be there, but more importantly, so will Christian Jack, Stephen Colbo, and Luke Wildman, among others. Um, so definitely an event worth checking out. You can follow me on Twitter at Mitchell Tierney, Ollie over at Platt Ollie, and for all things Footy Talks, at Footy Talks Live. Thanks for joining me and Ollie, and have a great week, everyone.